With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, good morning. I am guest hosting Trudy Clausen. I'm uh, I'm Trudy guest hosting for Rez Krebs, who is away, and so I'm very honored, and I've sort of missed these guys. I haven't uh, sat with them for a while. So I have with me Eric Allen, James Steidel, uh, Peter Eward, and Art Betke. So welcome, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Um, uh, so first up, I, I thought uh, that we would talk about the OCP review. Uh, there, there was the community consultation this week, but I didn't see any of you there. So I'm going to ask you to explain yourself. Why weren't you there? And if you weren't, or if you, um, what your, what some of your thoughts are about the process, and do you think it has any? I mean, you weren't there, so maybe you think it, it, it's not relevant or not important. So, let's start with Eric. Uh, I thought there was another meeting later on this month. <clears throat> Wasn't there two meetings? No, there is just the one. They are going to have the little pop-up booth at the budget consultations. I thought there was a meeting where the public could go and talk to the people that were there. That was on. That was on Tuesday night. Yeah, that was Tuesday night. Well, yeah. maybe that's why. So I maybe missed, you just missed the date. So what? What do you think about the like? Is is an OCP review like? It's legislatively required. Um, do you think? Um, do you think maybe it's just a waste of time, or maybe just we're not treating it properly? That I mean, there were a lot of people there, but just one night. Yeah, no, I've been to it before, and I've made a few comments or something, but I, I don't, I don't buy into that format too much because. You know, the city and, and the, the staff and that, they have all the information already and have had it for years and years and years. And then we kind of stumble in there and ask questions. So they accommodate us by answering it. And then after that, it's kind of over. It's not like you really have any input. Sometimes I get a little exasperated that we're paying all these high salaries and everything to the city and then they're asking us questions what do you think we should do about this what do you think we should do about that well look at your job description you know maybe that's what you should be doing and get some of this stuff done and and be serious about it you know why when it comes to cutting costs i never hear anybody down there talk about cutting costs is that a taboo phrase you're not supposed to talk about it we get a lot of talk about increasing salaries and, and negotiations and those types of things so it's just, it doesn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. You know, we got more increases coming up, and they're going to talk about the, uh, you know, the community plan. Let's talk about how people are going to be able to buy houses for the next five years, and where they're going to get their money from, and where the jobs are coming from. That'd be a good start. So. All right. Well, thank you, Eric. James? Yeah, um, actually, Trudy, I was at the OCP meeting, but as I had a green shirt on, so maybe I was a little bit camouflaged. You, all, you must have been. I'm sorry. <laughs> with, with all the other uh, green there, shirts there. There were a lot of green shirts there. Yeah, so that was um, that was Ginter's Green kind of encouraged everybody to go out there and, and uh, wear green, green shirts to show their support for not just Ginter's Green, but I think green space in general. Um you know, and I think a lot of a lot of people came out to make those comments. Uh, we want to see kind of urban urban growth kind of happening in sensible locations where existing services are. You know, stop this kind of continual outward sprawl, uh, which is really expensive. You know, we got to build more roads, we got to build more more sewer systems, more servicing. There's been a lot of reports showing that 
uh, the way to get tax expenditures down is to is to concentrate growth uh, in existing areas, densify, increase uh, increase the number of units, um, you know, per square kilometer kind of thing. And uh, places that do that make money as far as that you know they they take in more taxes and they spend on city services and time and time again uh, the real low density kind of uh, automobile dependent far flung sprawl uh, ends up uh, not paying for itself and it gets subsidized ironically by those higher density neighborhoods which which often are lower incomes so um I, yeah I talked about that during the election a year ago uh as far as the OCP process itself, I don't, you know, like we made we made those points. Whether that gets translated into the actual OCP is is something else to be seen. It seemed like you know one two hour session for a ten year overarching visionary plan for the city isn't enough. Um, <clears throat> you know, I know we have a bunch of planners that are that are that are like Eric said are hired to do do a job, but um, you know, this is an opportunity for the citizens to get engaged and. And lay out a vision, and I don't think two hours was necessarily enough. Um, you know, the, the one of one of the comments I had was, we've got a planning school up at UNBC. I'm not sure why we had to hire a Vancouver-based planning company to come up here to to do like I don't know. It was like all we did was, um, you know, the, all they did was like kind of write stuff on sticky notes, put them on a on a board, and somehow we're going to come up with a plan from all this. We put little green dots on on this map. I mean, anybody could have done that. Uh, I'm not sure what the scientific, if there's any kind of scientific basis to any of it. I mean, there is a survey, I guess, that I filled out. Lots to lots to talk about. Mm-hmm. All right, Peter. Uh, yeah, when I look at the OCP, you know, the, this whole uh, process, I see a I see a problem, and the the problem is uh, that um, it's entirely consultative. So you have a situation whereby, uh, and th- this applies to the various levels of government, whether the municipal, provincial, or federal. Uh, you have a, a, you have an election, people are elected, and as soon as they're elected, uh, basically we're, we're in four years of a dictatorship, right, where things get changed and moved around and we have no say whatsoever. So what I look at in in terms of I, like I'm not against them having the OCP right now or whatever, but I just don't think it's uh, really effective. It does not capture the the popular will precisely because uh, the decision making power does not lie with the citizenry. I think we need to find develop new kinds of mechanisms that give the citizenry more power over what government does, over what plans are made, and and so on. But we don't have that at this time. It's purely consultative. So they consult with us, but then they do what they want. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think we need to, we need a change in the process, a development in the process. But isn't that what's supposed to happen during an election? Like you find out what people's vision is, the various candidates, and then you vote for the one that sort of matches yours the best. Yeah, like, like the BC Liberals did on BC Rail, where they said they weren't going to sell it off, and then when they got elected, they sold it off. You know, like, and, and that's repeated so many times, whereby uh, promises are made at the federal, provincial, and municipal level, and then they're broken, right? Because once uh, uh, the election takes place, uh, basically we're out in the cold. You know, we we need we need to de- deepen and develop our democracy more, and think about that problem of um, making it so that the citizenry has more say over what's taking place, over what government does, because mm-hmm. right now. Uh, there's very little or, or, or nothing, and uh, we elect we elect people, 
and the promises are made and promises are broken and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I've been involved in a few recall campaigns, or at least, well, one, and that was enough to prove to me that <laughs> the, the, the process doesn't work. Well, the recall process, yeah, because the recall process came in, uh, there was a huge uh, sentiment for it amongst the population. Uh, that was back in the late uh, 1980s and, and early 1990s. Uh, so uh, the, the people of B.C. voted to have a recall process, a recall and initiative process. But then, of course, the political parties got a hold of it, and, and they made it so so difficult, difficult yeah. that people, uh, you know, give up on it, right? Yeah. You know, and then, and then, of course, when they, people give up on it, they, the political parties say, oh, well, people are not interested. You know, but it's... Uh, it's it, because it's so hard. It's because they make it so hard. They, they, they don't want the... They want the people left out in the cold. And, uh, that, and make decisions behind closed doors or whatever and all this. And we have to think about that process, a way of making it better so that we have more control over what government does. All right. Okay, Art. Yeah, I, you know, I guess uh, the city does need to have a plan, uh, some kind of guidelines uh, of where they're going. And it uh, can't be etched in stone. It has to have a certain amount of flexibility. And uh, so they do, but uh, they have a, a duty to um, consult with us every once in a while. So they do. And does it really make a difference? I doubt it. So, so okay. That's why I didn't go. Besides, I don't have a green shirt. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that I'll because... Help you, I'll help you out with that. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, I mean, this year, I mean, Gintris Green certainly had a lot of uh, representation there. And one comment I heard was, well, well, that's not fair, but that, you know, that this one group had a lot of representation there. Um, if if the result of the OCP comes out uh, heavily favoring some of the ideas that the green-shirted Gintris Green people had, how do you feel about that? Like, is that a fair process? Um, first of all, I highly doubt that they have that much influence. I think, uh, like Eric said, the, the high-paid salary guys uh, have it all figured out ahead of time. And uh, they have to consult with us. They don't have to take our suggestion seriously. Hmm. Okay, so if you had a magic wand, though, and you were in charge of this vision for Prince George, the long-term vision, what, what, what's one thing that you would, and I'll ask all of you guys this, uh, what's one thing that you would uh, change? I would uh, actually look up and study a whole lot so I could make an intelligent decision. I, I, I am uh, out to lunch on this. Okay. All right, Peter. Uh, one thing I would say, uh, bring an inquiry together or some kind of process together to talk about how people can have more control over what government does. Okay. All right, James. Yeah, first first of all, you know, the over-representation comment there, um, which I did hear at, at the event. I mean, everybody had the opportunity to come out to this OCP, and the people that cared about green space came out. So I, I think it's just, um, it just shows you uh, where the people of Prince George are sitting, um, it shows the popular will of the community, and that's got to be respected. You know, the last thing I want to see happen is is this kind of movement be discredited or, or discounted because, um, you know, they all came out to the meeting. Well, that's that's not a reason to discount them. That's a that's a reason to take take it seriously. 
and to include those kind of concerns into the OCP because it's, you know, green space and, and sensible development isn't really being followed. I mean, the existing OCP is actually a pretty good document, uh, but it just gets, it gets changed all the time. Like almost every other meeting, it seems like there's an OCP amendment to allow uh, development that doesn't comply with, with the, the intent of the existing OCP. So, uh, what do I want to see happen? I think, um, you know, have, having, uh, local democracy is, I think, the keystone of our democratic system. Um, it's where the people's will can most, can, can be implemented that, that makes the most sense. You know, once you get to bigger levels of government, you can't really have direct referendums on everything. It's just too big. But when you talk about the municipal level, I think there's a lot more opportunity for local, local referendums on issues. Um, even like more neighborhood control over stuff that affects like there's this concept called subsidiarity in political science where basically anything that government does uh that uh it, it should be controlled by the people who it affects mm-hmm. okay so if you're running a road through a neighborhood um you know there are some bigger implications there but if, if the primary people that are that are getting impacted by that is that neighborhood they should be the ones that that have the say over something like that um you know, and and it, it kind of it, it goes up from there. But uh, there's there's opportunities, I think, for for local citizens in in the local de- democracy to have more say over stuff. Hmm. Okay, Eric, any f- final thoughts? Any thoughts that you of something that you would take a magic wand to if you could? Well, <clears throat> some time ago we got. Uh, I think the NDP brought it in, but uh, <clears throat> they set up a an audit system so that the province could audit municipalities. Mm-hmm, yes. And I think they audited Revelstoke and one other. And then they backed away from it. Mm-hmm. I think and the actually the current government actually, I think, got rid of it, that office. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, they backed away anyway. And uh, the government that's in now backed away from it. So I thought for a while they were going to get some municipalities that are going to be audited. And uh, I think it's still on the books. They're just not using it. But we're, we're way overdue for an audit. I mean, we might be 100 years old and never had an audit at City Hall, for all I know. And a lot of other municipalities the same way. There's a lot of things down there that need to be changed for the municipality. And because it's mired in red tape and the rest of it, we don't really see it. There's money being spent. There's money being transferred to different things. It's all legal. I'm not saying it's not legal. But if you start tracking it, it's a form of insanity. I can track buildings and, and businesses, government-owned, that moved six, seven, eight times in the last 10, 15 years. Uptown, downtown, around town, other town, back to town. And then you turn around and you get six or seven fire halls, and you pick up the newspaper the next day, and you want to build another one out in the BCR. We just finished building one, mm-hmm. and now they got another one on the books. And as far as I know, the recommendation came from the firemen. Sort of like... Uh, you know, you go to the developers and say, how many houses do you want to build this year? Of course the firemen want more fire halls. Why wouldn't they? But they get their attention. They don't have to have this uh, OCP thing we're talking about. They write a letter to City Hall or whatever with a recommendation, and they jump on it. Mm. All right. So. Okay. Well, it's time for a break. We'll be back after these messages.
Find out what's happening in and around Prince George for the latest community events and happenings. Tune in to After 9 weekday mornings at 9 o'clock on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Your host for the day will interview everybody from local politicians to cultural contributors and a whole lot more. Stay in the know with After 9 weekday mornings at 9 o'clock only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. If you miss the live broadcast, catch the repeats every Sunday to Thursday night at 10. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open six days a week in the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Stop by and check out his great assortment of books, magazines, DVDs, and collectibles. Tuesday through Friday between 10 and 2. Ron's Hole in the Wall is also open during the Q3 Community Market, Saturday from 8.30 to 2. Drop in regularly as always something different in store. Ron's Hole in the Wall now open Tuesday through Saturday in the Q3 Creative Business Hub, downtown at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. There are so many ways to enjoy the great taste of Boston pizza, it's hard to keep track. You can dine in at either Prince George location, Central Street West, or Vance Road. You can order your delicious meal with pickup at either location, or arrange it to be delivered hot and fresh. Not sure what to order? Check the menu out online at bostonpizza.com. Boston Pizza, two locations in Prince George on Central Street West and Vance Road. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly sunny today with a high of 9. Tonight, a few clouds, a fog passage developing overnight and a low of minus 3. Sunny on Saturday and a high of 8. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, Trudy Clausen back here with my guests, or my, well, the political panel, the Friday political panel, Art Betke, Eric Eric Allen, Peter Ewart, and uh, James... Um, <laughs> James Steedle, is that how you say it? No. Oh. <laughs> That's how Eric says it. It's how Eric says it. Okay. All right. Uh, so, James, I'm going to start with you. So, I mean, you just made the comment that, um, so I do remember some things. You just made the comment that neighborhoods should be able to decide whether or not a big road goes through. But what about housing? We have, we're facing this, ma- like, I've just been listening to some podcasts and just reading some articles about, you know, where we are at as a country. And as a country, I think our immigration rate, which which we want, is around a million people a year. And plus, we have across Canada about 700,000 international students. Mm-hmm. That has put, um, because I kept wondering, why are we having this housing crisis? Why aren't we keeping up? I mean, people aren't having babies. Why, you know, what's what's up? So that apparently is the thing. How do we deal with, how do we increase housing availability? Um, and yet at the same time, you know, deal with nimbyism if, if that's what's happening. Yeah, how would I you, think, if you were at the table, well, what would I, you be proposing? I'm not, the, I'm not the guy that thinks that, um, that growth is necessarily a great thing. Um, I, you know, I think that, um, the goal of society should be quality of life and, uh, you know, community and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, I don't necessarily believe that uh, having almost 2 million people a year coming into Canada is, is the greatest policy for those people coming in or for us. Uh, and I think housing is a great example of that. You know, if we can't build the housing to keep up with that, why are we doing this? And I think it, uh, a lot of it comes down to how real estate is, is kind of the, the big driver of the Canadian economy. And if we keep bringing more people in, we can keep those rents high and we can keep those real estate rates going up. Um, so I'm a little bit more cynical about this topic than, than maybe most people. Um, you know, but if, if this is the thing that we as a society have agreed to do 
and we're going to have two million more people uh, coming into our country, which is a huge, huge growth rate. Um, how do you get more housing going? Well, I think uh, just looking outside the studio here, uh, there's tons of opportunities right downtown. You know, we could we could be building four story walk ups all through downtown. It would make downtown into an awesome place. Um, you know that we could bring, um, and of course, you have to have things to attract people downtown. We could have uh, elements of the university come downtown, like that planning department up at the top of the hill. That that whole school should be downtown. I, uh, I was lucky enough to go to the University of Cologne for a year, did an exchange program with SFU and the University of Cologne, and they don't really have like a central university. That uh, was one of the oldest universities in, in Germany. They've got buildings, they've got like a university district, but there's buildings all through the neighborhood, you know, mixed in with residences, with businesses. Um, coffee shops. Coffee shops, yeah. So, uh, you know, that kind of concept I think is really great for for urban life and, and an urban environment. And I think getting more university things downtown, uh, getting more development downtown, getting more housing down here, um, I think I think it's a great way to do it. All right. Peter. Uh, yeah, I don't think immigration and, uh, you know, students are the, are the root cause of uh, what's happening with the housing crisis. The housing crisis is uh, affecting people in many different ways. It's new people who want to buy a, you know, uh, who are new on the market, young people want to buy a house. It's way, the interest rates are way too high. The prices have skyrocketed. Those who are renting, like fixed income people, pensioners and all this who are, who are renting, uh, can't afford the rents anymore. And then there's homeless people and, uh, you know, in, in that situation as well. I think part of the problem goes back to the fact that the government pulled out of uh, building social housing 30 years ago. Or 30 or 30 or 35 years ago. And I think if we're going to solve this housing problem there, we need uh, some really big plans on that front. You know, like what happened after the Second World War is, uh, the Central Mortgage and Housing uh, Corporation, uh, you know, spearheaded the, this whole movement to, uh, build what were, in those days were called army houses. Uh, you know, they were low cost, uh, houses. I, we lived in one when I was young, right? Uh, but, um, the uh when we look at the situation today i think that what government needs to do is consider uh getting into the social housing market in a big way and and building houses when government can do it can do it on a non-profit basis you eliminate the developer cost also governments can use the use the uh their, their uh their power to uh get low uh low cost uh investments and low-cost uh, loans. Uh, and then uh, you have a situation whereby the revenue stream comes from those who are renting, especially. Mm-hmm. You know, So uh, government can do that. It's been shown in the past they can do it. But it takes... Uh, it means, of course, that there's going to be a lot of howling from uh, you know, the big developers who uh, they, they just want to do... Uh, build housing that they can make a whole bunch of money at, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas we need to have a different focus, okay. looking at building housing for as many people as possible in a short period of time. All right. Art, I imagine that you have a slightly different opinion. Yeah, well, first of all, I'd like to say that the interest rates are not way too high. Uh, they've gone up lately and back to where they should have been all along. Uh, many years ago, out because of fears of a recession, the government dropped them down to practically nothing. And uh, they may have saved off a recession, but uh, puts it in the 
situation now where when you raise them up, uh, it's hard on people who have borrowed on uh, the low rate. No, the, the interest rates should always have been this high. It should never have gone down. Um, but I got to wonder what makes why why do they think we can absorb that many people coming into this country every year? We can't. It's impossible. And uh, they just keep piling on more. And so why are we bringing in that many people? What's the reason? Uh, was it Christia Freeland, I believe, said, oh, we need to bring in all these extra immigrants so they can build houses for all the new immigrants. Like, <laughs> come on now. Uh, I think part of the argument is because... Everywhere I've been going lately is that there have uh, people are crying out for labor and and for people to hire. Yeah, to hire. Well, uh, uh, I but I think one of the sorry to jump in, Art, or but probably make Art's case here is is you know it's to drive down the the, the amount of labor that we or the money that we pay to labor. Mm-hmm. I would argue. Okay, that's a good point too. Yeah, anything that they're short of is going to be a increase in the price, and that includes labor. Okay, Eric, the last word on this goes to you. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it's, it's not hard to figure out what's going on, but it takes a little bit of time. If you start giving people minimum wage jobs 20 hours a week, I'll guarantee you they won't be buying any houses. Mm-hmm. Even if both people in the family are working, they're not going to be buying a house. And we've priced ourselves out of the market. Now we have this idea that we can sit in the uh, catbird seat and say, well, we'll build low-income housing for these people. Well, the low-income housing for the people we're building for was us 20, 25 years mm-hmm. ago when we built the houses we have today. So all of a sudden we're going to build these low income because these people can't afford to buy a house. I say no. We'll have to, we've got 323 square kilometers of land and James wants to build downtown. Why don't we build outside of town a little bit more? We can expand. We've got to pay for that land and, and run our roads through there. And in some cases we're running... Uh, water and sewer through there, but we're not using it. Half this town has got water and sewer underground, but there's no houses on top of it. Take Boundary Road as an example. All right. Take down in the, in the VCR Industrial Park. There's all kinds of things going on. But, you know, there's, there's problems, really, really big problems there. And the thing is, we have to change the way we think about it. People are entitled to own a half-decent house with a backyard in this country. They always have been, and I'm not going to be a part of changing it because some guy wants to make a few dollars. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, and we'll be back after these messages. If you are learning English, the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library is offering you a weekly chance to practice in a comfortable and safe space. The English Conversation Group meetings Thursday evenings include free conversation, structured vocabulary-rich discussion, and many language-building games. Get together with other people learning how to speak English for an hour of fun and instruction. The English Conversation Group, a free drop-in event, 5 to 6 Thursday evenings through November 2nd at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. 
first student is a leader in student transportation and is excited to be adding to their family of school bus drivers and licensed mechanics. Let first student put you in the driver's seat. You'll need a full driver's license, clean record, must be safety focused, and enjoy working with children. Apply online through workatfirst.com or call Christine at 250-900-8220. Apply today through workatfirst.com or by calling Christine at 250-900-8220. The Crisis Center for Northern BC is presenting a Safe Talk Suicide Prevention Workshop November 4th at your Prince George Public Library. Learn how to prevent suicide by recognizing signs, engaging someone, and connecting them to intervention resources. This is a free workshop for people ages 15 and older, but registration is limited. To register, call the library at 250-563-9251. Safe Talk, a suicide prevention workshop November 4th from 1 to 4 at your Prince George Public Library. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, sorry. Um, we're. I'm going to switch a little bit um, to across the world and just the events happening in Israel, and the about the terror attack on by Hamas on Israel and then Israel's response. Um, Peter, what do you think? Was it a bad idea? Like just looking at all the difficulties that we've had over the years, um, or that Israel has had, was it a bad idea to establish the Jewish, the Israeli state? Yes, it was a bad idea to establish a, a Zionist Israeli state that imposed Jewish supremacy over the indigenous Palestinian population. Even many Jews at the time of the founding of Israel, like Albert Einstein, thought so too. And, uh, and there's Jews today who th- think the same thing as well. Palestinians and Jews have lived together in the Holy Land for hundreds of years, with the population being mo- mostly Palestinian for, for a long period of time, including Muslims as Christians, as well as some Jews. The Holocaust against Jews happened in Europe and was implemented by the Nazis, where six million people were brutally killed. The Arabs and Palestinians did not cause the Holocaust. Nonetheless, the big European powers, especially the UK and France, pushed for an Israeli state that they could control. Later, the Americans took on the role to push its own interests. The one thing they didn't do, they didn't ask permission of the indigenous population of Palestinians uh, to set up this uh, Zionist supremacist state. Um, so uh, some people characterize it as, as being the establishment of the, of the Zionist state as a dagger in the heart of the Middle East. Israeli, Zion, Israeli Zionists were a minority among Jews you know, in the 19th and 20th century. Uh, and many Jews in the world saw Zionists as being an extreme nationalist, uh, fanatical movement that pushed for Jewish supremacy rather than the more internationalist, universalist, progressive, and brotherly tradition that Jews had been known for in the world, represented by many uh, famous personalities and cultural figures. Uh, anyway, unfortunately, after the Second World War, the, the Zionist movement got the upper hand and imposed the Zionist supremacist state on the, on the population, and thousands were killed and ethnic cleansed, and so on. And the European powers and U.S. use this today. They use uh, Israel to keep the, uh, the countries of the oil-rich Middle East in a, in a weak state and uh, to maneuver around. So... Uh, if there is to be in Israel, it should be one where the rights of all are enshrined, whether it's Jewish people, Palestinians, Christians, etc. 
But since its founding, the Zionist state of Israel has caused constant problems for the Middle East. And today it's threatening to pull the world into even a world war. You know, I'm all for an Israel, but you have to have one where the rights of all are respected, especially the Palestinian, not one having supreme over the other, as as is the current situation. Hmm. All right. Eric, I'll let you respond to that or have your own thoughts. Yeah, I haven't got into it too much. I was doing a little reading on it. Uh, It's interesting to see that Israel didn't have a homeland for over 2,000 years. And then uh, they decided to set it up in uh, uh, Israel and try to get the state of Israel. So there's lots of history there. And I don't have it all. And then, of course, there's the Palestinian question and the rest of it. It's sort of a sad state of affairs that we have the United Nations that's supposed to be, uh, you know, all the countries in the world sitting there discussing problems and coming up with solutions. Uh, lots of problems, but few solutions, it seems like. I would like to believe that somewhere along the line, we can settle some of these uh, situations without getting into war and fighting. And, you know, this has been going on forever, and, and we're way past the time that we should be able to be beyond that. But the simple fact is, if the United States and a few of those countries weren't in the Middle East, somebody else would be there and probably be a hell of a lot worse situation than it is now. So us to get out of it just makes room for somebody else to come in. Okay. Big, big problem. I certainly won't be able to solve it, and I don't think it's solvable in the short term. Okay. But certainly that's what we should be working on. All right, James. Well, yeah, if you if you look back, you know, before kind of the West got its uh, fingers in, in the Middle East, uh, Israel, the, the area that we call Israel, was uh, controlled by the Ottoman Empire for hundreds of years. And actually, it was pretty peaceful for hundreds of years. Uh, you know, Jews and, and Muslims live side by side in peace. Um, and, I, you know, I've got to agree with a lot of what Peter said. Once, once, he, once he brought in this kind of nationalist ideology of Zionism, backed up with these geopolitical uh interests of global powers um you know all, all hell breaks loose so uh, there's you know there's i think people have got to look look at uh not just like what um proponents of zionism are saying in israel you know there's this uh there's this group called torah judaism in in israel who are you know hasidic traditional jews i think there might be hasidic maybe maybe actually I'm, i might be wrong about that but you know they're they're waving they're going around protesting throughout Israel, waving Palestinian flags and, and getting beat up for it, of course. Uh, but basically, they want to say, you know, these these people are uh, we lived alongside these people for hundreds of years, and we need to go back to that that thinking, which is uh, that we're all humans, right? We're all just people. We've got different ideas and different identities that that are imposed on us by whatever upbringing we're brought in, and, and we forget that we're all the same, you know, and and. Uh, the goal should be living peacefully with each other. The goal shouldn't be uh, to support some kind of bigger kind of, you know, imaginary risk game that, that we're all playing in our heads about um, controlling resources and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I think uh, I think people have got to sit down and come up with a serious solution. Um, you know, maybe the two states uh, solution is, is the the most straightforward thing at this point, uh, the illegal settlements in the West Bank need to end like that. That is just crazy stuff. You know, your people from like California are moving to uh, Israel, the West Bank and setting up, um, 
you know, like trailers on Palestinian land, and then they get Israeli army protection, they get water and electricity run to these sites, and they basically are colonizing the West Bank. Like, that's that's ridiculous that that's being allowed to happen. But anyway, that's... Okay. uh, All right, I'll give the last word on this topic to Art. Well, uh, as for your question, if it was a bad idea to establish the state of Israel, then it was also a bad idea to establish the state of Jordan. It's all one and the same part of what what Romans dubbed Palestine. There has never been a country called Palestine or a nation. Uh, Let's uh, let's look a little bit of the history. That area has been uh, occupied by so many different people over the centuries. Uh, The Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks under Alexander the Great, the Romans, uh, and then the Byzantine Romans, and uh, then the Muslim Arabs moved in in 637. And the Crusaders moved in, and then finally the Ottomans. And the Ottomans had it for 400 years. So when the British pushed the Ottomans out at uh, in World War One, everything that they ever knew about uh, governing, you know, every after 400 years, it was gone. But there were both Arab and uh, Jewish people there, and they wanted their own countries, and they were both promised their own country. 80% of the area called Palestine to the Arabs and 20% to the Jews. So in the 1920s, the Arabs got theirs called Jordan, but they wouldn't give Israel to the Jews until 1948 when they forced the issue. Um, and if it hadn't been for the Holocaust, they probably wouldn't have given it to them then. So if uh, let's let's keep in mind, uh, the Jews were the original um, Aboriginal people, part of the Semitic people of that area, the first inhabitants of that area. Um, and you know they weren't the only ones. Uh, there's quite a few. And uh, with all those invasions, I'm sure a lot of those armies left babies behind. That's what armies do when they do things like that. So I imagine it's a, a whole mix of races there now. Uh, the Arabs, uh, when they moved in, I'm sure they absorbed a lot of the other people besides the Jews. So they're, they're all basically aboriginals. Yep. So, uh, mm. But uh, the Jews have a claim uh, stronger than anybody else there. All right. Well, unfortunately, that's it for our time here. We will, uh, just on, on this topic, We it is time for us to take a break. We'll be back after these messages. On the evening of Wednesday, October 4th, the Prince George RCMP was advised of a violent assault that took place on the 42nd hundred block of Cowart Road. The incident happened between 10.15 and 10.35 p.m. The suspect is described as wearing a dark hoodie with dark pants and may have darker colored skin. The suspect fled the area on foot in an unknown direction. If you have any information relating to this investigation, please call the RCMP at 250-561-3300. The Alzheimer's Society of BC has social programs for people living with early-stage dementia and caregivers. Coffee and Chat is designed to help you meet new people, engage in social activities, and have fun. Full details are available online at alzbc.org slash coffee dash chat. Coffee and Chat, every second Thursday from 11 to noon. Register for an online session by calling the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. 
The Prince George Hospice Dream Home Lottery is back for 2023. It's your chance at a brand new custom-built home worth over $820,000. Check out the Dream Home on Monroe Way in University Heights Subdivision or go online to hospicedreamhome.ca. The grand prize draw is Friday, December 1st. Nearly 3,000 square feet of custom-built living comfort. The Prince George Hospice Dream Home Lottery. BC Gaming License 141437. Know your limit. Play within it. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly sunny today with a high of 9. Tonight, a few clouds, a fog passage developing overnight and a low of minus 3. Sunny on Saturday and a high of 8. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, that was obviously, we during the break, we had a vigorous discussion here about that whole topic. So, uh, I mean, it's obvious that it's something that a lot of us feel passionate about, um, about uh, Israel and, and in particular with, with the terror attack there. So, um, but we'll leave that aside. And I'll, I want to talk a little bit about um, what has been happening. And we apparently, we talk more often about what ha- what is happening in Alberta because um, they're doing stuff. <laughs> They're doing stuff. Uh, Premier Danielle Smith won just recently won a court case against Bill C sixty nine, which was um, which the Albertans called the No More Pipelines Bill, um, and she's and she's also working uh, looking at bringing CPP under provincial jurisdiction. Uh, is this something that we're going to be seeing more of, or do you just want to share your thoughts? We'll start with Art. Um, just thoughts on what Alberta's doing and, and you know, about their victory in, in court. Um, yeah. Well, as Bill C-69 was just a tool to control the provinces, especially Alberta, and uh, stop resource development all over Canada in line with their insane environmental extremism, their, the policies and trying to save the planet by shutting down resource extraction. Um, it it uh, obviously overstepped their bounds, and they tried to say, oh, it's a national emergency. Oh, no, it isn't. It's just they want control. And uh, it's also uh, they, where, where the money is, power follows, and there's a lot of money in uh, Alberta at the moment, Uh, just like back when uh, Trudeau Sr. instituted the National Energy Plan to put them in their place. uh, Mark Lalonde actually said afterwards uh, that uh, the reason the National Energy Plan was necessary was because Alberta was getting too rich and too much power was going toward them, so they had to put them in their place. That's all this is doing it again. Okay. All right. Peter, what do you, uh, what do you think? How, how is that? Is that sort of the way of the future? Is this, is there going to be more flexing of power in the West and particularly Alberta? Is there? Uh, yeah. We could see this, you know, taking place, right? You know, the, I don't think, I don't support the idea that the Canada pension plan should be, uh, D- divided up that way on a provincial basis, right? We should leave it as it stands right now. But uh, the, the, the problem is, is that um, I think that uh, Daniel Smith uh, wants to get a hold of that money for her own pet projects, and uh, those projects I don't think necessarily are going to be in the interest of Alberta people or Canadian people. You know, so I, I don't I don't see this as a as a good idea. I actually see it as a, as a more as a weakening of the of the country as a whole. You know that uh, this this takes it's already taking place like in Quebec, uh, but um, 
more of it, uh, then when does the whole idea of having a Canada come into being, right? This is not to say that uh, the, the federal government is blameless on this, because they, they try to do the same thing, too. They try to get a hold of the money and use it mm-hmm. for their own purpose. But, um, again, we're in a situation where we have no control over this. And, I, again, back to my point I made earlier about the housing thing and uh, other things like this, you know, we, we need the mechanisms where, whereby we can assert our control in a better way. Well, and I'm just wondering, so maybe, James, if you want to pick up on that and um, that I, I mean, on the one hand, this would seem to be an, uh, especially, I mean, the, the win on the, on Bill C-69 and bringing home CPP would seem to be bringing more control to the locals or to, you know, the province, yeah, which is closer, right? Yeah, you got me there, Trudy. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's a tricky line to, to balance. I, I think, like, the, the question is, does your decision affect somebody else? You know, does does what you're doing um, have a negative impact on somebody else? I think that's that's kind of, you know, the, the question you have to ask as far as local democracy or local control or, you know, individual responsibility is controlled, is concerned. You know, when I talk about local uh, responsibility, you know, like BC Transit, the transit service in Prince George, like that's controlled from Victoria, right? Like that should be controlled Here. at the Prince George level, yeah, right? Because all, all of the impact of, of that system impact us. Uh, so when you're when you're talking about Bill 69, I don't know if that was like a win. I mean, it was a temporary win that's getting appealed. Um, you know, there's big constitutional questions at play here, which is, you know, if, if one province's industry uh, is feeding into um, this environmental, basically, devastation on the planetary level where all everybody's forests are lighting on fire now, you know, then, then I think you have to start asking, well, well, geez, guys, maybe... Maybe what you're doing isn't great for other people, even though you're making a lot of money and you're and you're using that to you know finance the the pension plan and and um, now you want all that money too, right? So, you know, I think it's basic question of uh, being selfish or or not being selfish, and I think Alberta has a problem with the former. Oh gosh, as a former Albertan, I take great <laughs> ob- ob- objection to that. Uh, it is time for break, so we'll be back and we'll pick up with Alan. The City of Prince George advises drivers to be aware of possible minor traffic disruptions on Queensway between 17th Avenue and 15th Avenue until the end of October. Delays are possible as construction work takes place in front of 1616 and 1650 Queensway. In the meantime, northbound traffic on Queensway has been reduced to single lane. The City of Prince George reminds motorists to always obey all signage and traffic personnel around road work and construction zones. Your Prince George Council seniors will be accepting Christmas hamper applications from November 2nd to November 30th. Applications can be picked up and then dropped off to the Council Seniors Office at 1335th Avenue. For more information, contact Lindsay by emailing info at pgcos.ca or by calling your Council Seniors at 250-564-5888. Delivery dates for this year's Prince George Council Seniors Christmas hampers will be December 20th to 22nd. Over the summer months, the Prince George RCMP's street crew unit started targeting individuals involved in property crimes throughout the Prince George community. Hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stolen property was recovered in July, August, and September, and efforts will continue. If you have any information about stolen property or any other criminal offense, call the RCMP at 250-561-3300 or report online at northernbccrimestoppers.ca. 
where you can be eligible for a cash reward. The Prince George RCMP would like you to be on the lookout for Joshua Joseph Michael Bowser, wanted for theft under $5,000 and break and enter with intent to commit an indictable offense. He's described as a Caucasian male, 5 foot 10, 160 pounds, with short black hair, blue eyes, and a tattoo of the name Katie on his neck. If you know the whereabouts of Joshua Bowser, please contact the Prince George RCMP at 250-561-3300. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back with the Friday political panel. Uh, Trudy Clausen, guest hosting here for Andreas Krebs. Uh, Eric, we were talking about Alberta, and if you just want to give us a quick word on that, and then we'll uh, segue into talking about uh, the school district 57 school rating done by uh, Fraser Institute. So first on the on Alberta and, and uh, Bill yeah, C-60. well, it's kind of good to see the federal government uh, lose that court case uh, because they do tend to get a little pushy. It's pretty in the uh, charter or something. It's pretty well cut dried what responsibilities the federal government has in the Constitution, yeah. And uh, it's not all that much, five, six, seven major things. But they find their ways into other things. Like, people will make comments like, oh, yeah, well, we've got to get the federal government to do something about this forestry issue. Well, they don't have any responsibility for forestry other than parks. It actually comes under the province. And a lot of people don't understand that, so... Provincial rights is important, and it's important that we keep it right. Uh, and then quickly with Alberta, uh, they always seem to find a way to to make a dollar. And they get a lot of business there besides oil. Oil just takes all the press time. Yes. But there's a lot of other things going on in Alberta. And they're pretty progressive, so I never had a problem with them. Uh, they're not uh, afraid to get out and get their hands dirty and go to work. And, yeah, that's true. So. All right. Um, okay, maybe what I'll do is I'll start with with Art. Uh, just talking, finishing off our hour here, talking about School District 57, and particularly, uh, I mean, people always get offended at the fact that um, the Fraser Institute uh, publishes these ratings, but it's, they're, like, from what I'm seeing, is they're simply uh, taking the data that is produced by the FSA and uh, helping it to be useful information by being able to compare schools and not for the purpose of comparing and telling people you're, you know, you're doing a bad job, but just to be able to look and see who's doing really well. And one school that has been doing exceedingly well is Quinson. Uh, they've gone from a rating of 1.4 to 3.6 in five years. And, and while it's, that's still a challengingly low number, but I mean, obviously they've been doing right, doing something right. Um, so Art, do you think it is important? Do you think we should be measuring schools? Um, should we be looking at these ratings and going, okay, we need to, you know, improve? Well, uh, we do need to have our students uh, well-educated. So uh, when, when they're doing something like this, uh, they're letting us know that there's some problems here. And then the people who are running that particular school or school district can take action on it and uh, see what they can do. You, know, you can't go into university or CNC uh, not knowing your high school work. And uh, so if you want to get any further education, you have to have the basis in, in your first parts of education. Uh, as far as Quinson's uh, amazing improvement, well, I think whatever they're doing, they should bottle it and sell it because <laughs> a lot of places would want that. Exactly. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'll go next with James. 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm not one to like, you know, straight up uh, ignore what uh, somebody like the, the Fraser Institute has to say. I think, uh, you know, from time to time they have some good points. I think there's some fair criticism of the of the school ranking system, but I think there's also things of value there as far as, you know, getting people fired up and talking about it at the very least. So I think, um, you know, maybe, uh, what you mentioned there uh, before the show, Trudy, was that maybe some some parents uh, got more involved in, in Quinson there and uh, some more resources uh, possibly were transferred there from the administration there at School District 57. So, you know, I think uh, I think a ranking like this absolutely can can have positive impacts, uh, if only to get uh, people in the administration um, maybe more eyes on what's happening uh, with with the school districts. So, yeah. All right, uh, Eric, how, what uh, do you think? Yeah, I'm not too familiar with what the Fraser Institute uses. Just the the uh, the FSA the the testing the the general test standards. Yeah, testing. so so I don't think they're they're looking at the big picture. They're just looking at the, just the way of marking it. Yeah, the information uh, they have available. Yeah, there are there are things socially that are taking place in some of these schools that weren't there ten years ago, and if they worked, I mean something as simple as maybe a food program that they didn't have before and they have it and you can get marks coming up with children if they're comfortable in school and eating properly. So it could be any number of things that drive these mm-hmm. numbers and that's what we need to look at. Yeah, but what's got to start somewhere with the data, right? Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, all right, Peter? Uh, yeah, no, I, I look at the situation. I know the Fraser Institute does these reports. Uh, one of the criticisms of the Fraser Institute is that it, uh, people say that it has... Uh, an agenda, right? You know, a privatization ag- agenda, and that uh, the figures get skewed as a result of that. Uh, the one thing I would like to say, though, is that uh, you know, from what I've seen, you know, the uh, school system in British Columbia, w- when it's ranked, uh, you know, compared to the school system in the United States and other jurisdictions, it does very well. And uh, you know, I don't think the teachers uh, get enough uh, support on that. Like they often get uh, attacked for all kinds of reasons, right? But uh, I think they're trying to do their best, and uh, I, I support the, that whole. It, of course, we have to learn how to do, do things better in the conditions of today. There's a lot of pressure on schools, uh, and on on teachers, and on students, and and so on. Right? You know, in terms of what, what's taking place in the world and uh, the, the economy, and and so on. But uh, I, th- I think I think we should keep that in mind, right? That uh, we don't uh, just paint everything in a negative way. No, and I but I think and the reason I wanted to talk about this again was with you guys is because our children are competing. They're going to be competing with students from around the world uh, often, especially um, just with the way with the way the job market is and and our rate of immigration. Um, and so my question is, okay, so if this is the raw data that we have from, you know, limited testing, um, like, isn't that a place to begin? Like, don't we like, so, cause, because if you look at some of the stuff, it's really interesting. Uh, just because a school has a certain percentage of special needs students doesn't mean that they necessarily score low. If you compare them according to special needs student, there's wide differences. So what's the difference? Um, we have uh we are pretty much done um thank you very much for coming and uh, and for for always you know showing up and giving your your opinions and helping to bring forward the public 
discussion about these things. I think it's vitally important, and especially when you disagree, because that makes you think. So thank you very much, gentlemen. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10 and for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at yahoo.ca. This is 93.1 CFISFM Prince George, proudly supported by community organizations like the Canadian Home Builders Association of Northern BC. Check them out online at chbanorthernbc.ca.